193 of the DC Comics News Podcast. I am your host uh, today, uh, Brad Flicky, and with me uh, is the amazing Seth Singleton. I always like it when I'm called amazing. Hello. Happy to be here. <laughs> and the incredible Steve J. Ray. Steve Smash! <laughs> So we've got some movie news, some TV streaming news, and some comic book news to get into. So let's just jump right into movie news. Uh, we're going to start with a little bit of a discussion here. Uh, it it seems like there is a contingent of fans that want Batman Returns to be considered a Christmas movie. So, Seth, Steve, do you consider Batman Returns a Christmas movie? I'm going to do a dramatic lean back in the squeaky chair here to go ahead and say, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to be simpler about it. Is there snow? Yes. Is there a bit of a colorful mood to it that also feels like it's part of the dark wintry season? Yes. I'm, I'm pretty much done, man. Like <laughs> I could happily get into a whole thing, but it's like, look, does it take place in the wintertime? Yes. Sounds like a Christmas movie to me. Unless it specifically was all about turkeys, in which case I would accept an argument about Thanksgiving. Or if there was like, you know, hearts, then maybe something to do with Valentine's Day. But I don't dis- you know, distinctly remember any of those elements being there. What I do remember felt like Christmas. And with that, I turn it over to my good friend, Mr. Steve. Steve, how about you, buddy? Where do you weigh in? Yay or nay? Um... This is actually going to shock you guys, but I'm completely in the opposite camp. For me, it's a huge nay. And I will give you reasons why. A, for me, Christmas movies, Miracle on 34th Street, It's a Wonderful Life, Home Alone, are films that I will only watch at Christmas. It's the same with Die Hard. I can watch Die Hard and Batman Returns all year round for me no they are absolutely not christmas movies they are just great movies action movies that just happen to be set at christmas i refuse to just watch those two films one month out of the year um so for me i stand categorically in the nay camp so um yeah sorry (laughs) i honestly honestly mean that christmas movies i will only watch at christmas those two i'll watch forever Brad, break the stalemate. I got to side with you on this one, uh, Steve, um, because to me, growing up, I always had such a summer association with Batman movies. They always came out in the summer. and It was always something that I looked forward to seeing while on summer vacation. So to me, I always had that summer like connection with Batman movies. So I never really considered it a christmas movie really uh you know to me yeah i've always associated with the summer funny enough so so yeah i think i'm sorry seth i think you're outvoted on this one but to uh, uh, quote stewie from family guy we're in a fight um (laughs) no but i i i will say this i don't explicitly or specifically watch them for christmas alone i think these are movies you can watch at any given time but the setting for me and the fact that once you can watch them at any time you want, 
gives me the opportunity to include them as part of my Christmas watching time. So I'm fine, man. I've been outvoted before. Uh, I, I would agree with that. I'm in a good camp. <laughs> I would agree with that. I would happily watch either of those two films at Christmas, but then I would also happily watch them any time of the year, whereas all the other Christmas films, I won't watch them all year round. Um, it's like Christmas music. My The store where I work um, put in the Christmas decorations and opened the Christmas store and started playing Christmas music in mid-September. And I am already sick to death of Christmas music. I can barely stomach it for the month of December. But when it's played at me all day, every day from September onwards, I, I could go postal, guys, seriously. <laughs> uh, and it's the same with Christmas movies. For me, yeah month of december that's it uh maybe i'm just scrooge in, in another body but no i can't do it whereas die hard and and batman returns all day long every day without question <laughs> and up next is uh we're getting word that uh theater execs are really pushing Warner Brothers to commit to releasing Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas Day to give them some kind of definite yes or no on that situation. Uh, Seth, what was your take on this? I think actually, man. Okay, so for those of you, you know, not aware of when we're doing this, this is right after some of the most uplifting election results I've heard recently. And Man, Hell I yeah. want to celebrate. I want to celebrate. And this is the way I want to do it. I say commit to it. I say, in the meantime, let the guy who's coming in start talking about the ways that theaters can improve. Let theaters take a chance at how they can improve the experience, the opportunity. It's not going to be the same, but we're getting closer. And I feel like we have that option to enjoy it both ways, but let those who want to experience it in the theater have a safe experience. And let's try doing what we've found a way to do with everything else that's been impacted by the pandemic. Work forward where we can, work forward safely where we can. Um, there's been a couple of times I've had to fly in the past eight months. I didn't want to, but I also knew there were safe ways I could do it. And as of yet, no one in my house and a couple of uh, people, especially uh, my mother-in-law, who's much older, have needed to get COVID tests just more regularly to be uh, aware of whether or not they're at risk. And no one has been put at risk. There are things that can be done safely. I think this is something that is uh, a great opportunity for a lot of people to embrace hope as a group and do so in a setting that, that we all are looking forward to returning to. And we can do it safely. We can do it responsibly. And I think this is a great movie to do it with. Steve, how about you? I couldn't agree more, Seth. Absolutely. Well said, my friend. Um, and like the studio execs and theatre owners, us fans really want to know, is this film coming out for Christmas? Because I've said it before, I've said it again. I've been scared of going back to the theatres, but this is the one movie that could draw me back in. So please just let us know one way or another. Hey, we do the DC Comics News podcast. We're used to stories about delays. It seems like some weeks that's all we've had. So, um, yeah, just let us know one way or another so we can plan our Decembers. And if it does come out for Christmas, fantastic. But please don't let fans start saying it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> oh, hang on. We're on a different story now. Brad, what did you think, my friend? <laughs> 
you know, there is just so much writing on this movie uh, for both the studio and the movie theaters. Movie theaters want wanted to bring people back to the theaters, you know, to, you know, to bring in money because, you know, they're releasing these old movies again. It's just not, it's not doing it. And the studio does not want to take a risk of this movie, not making money. There's so much riding on it. And this could be that moment where people start coming back into the theaters. And I want, I want that so bad for this movie. I just don't know if Christmas is going to cut it. I mean, it, it just seems like it, it's just, just mere weeks away and it just with with the rise in cases i just don't know sadly i just don't know if it's going to happen and also considering the fact that the two biggest markets in america are still shut down that's going to really tear into the box office if nobody in new york city and in la and and some of those big cities on the west coast are just not going to be able to see it i just uh, it's just it's killing me because I really do want to see it and I do really want to see it in the big screen. But I just I just would not be surprised if they do delay it. I kind of hope they don't. But I kind of have a feeling, you know, that 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 they are. So I guess I guess we will see. Um, but, you know, I it seems like they don't want to say just yet, just in case. And I don't blame them for that. You know, I don't blame that them for that either. But. You know, something's got to give soon. So we will see. Uh, On to some better news. Uh, The Batman production is allowed to continue despite the UK lockdown. Uh, Seth, what was your take on this? Well, I thought it was an interesting development because, you know, the, the lockdown has been seen as a necessary response to just what you were talking about, a surge in cases. But it's also an example that we've seen where when it's done correctly can negate one of these surges and allow for enough medical personnel to be available to treat those that are the hopefully um, the fewer than would have happened without the lockdown. And also that because of a uh, apparent stipulation within the lockdown, which says where work from home is impossible, You can travel to a site to work and then go through a series of very extensive but not exhaustive uh, preventative measures. These have been done. I I mentioned that I was traveling a little while back. And when I was back in one of the locations where I was, I spoke with a gentleman who runs a hospital. And he said, we've had none of my staff get sick or infected. You know, we've made a point of stringently following the rules to a degree where some people might think it's absurd. But we base it on the fact that no one that works there is getting sick. If we keep that up, we can control this. We can be responsible. So I like that there's this opportunity for companies to allow production to continue to create safe environments and for people to gradually understand that there's a way to move forward. It just requires a little extra precaution and some greater both personal and professional responsibility. And for fans, this should be a win-win. Steve, what's your thought? Once again, Master Seth, I must indubitably concur. Um, Totally right. If it's working, if it's getting results, if people aren't getting sick, it's not absurd. It's the way forward. And if they're finding a way to keep production running, keep everyone safe and deliver this film that everyone's dying to see, then 
big thumbs up from this movie critic. Um, that's all I can really say. You said you travelled and you did it in a safe way. You took precautions. It's just such a shame that half the idiots out there aren't doing the same things when they're walking around with their mask halfway down their throats or no mask at all uh, and standing right next to you to the point where you can almost feel their breath on your neck and going out and throwing parties and totally throwing all rules out of the window. It's these selfish idiots who only care about themselves and having fun and having parties that are wrecking it for everybody else. Because if everyone took the precautions, if everyone stayed safe, then this lockdown might have been over this virus may have been plugged a lot sooner and the numbers would not be rising guys we've said it on this show since the beginning brad said it beautifully just wear the mask guys just follow the rules for a little bit longer and maybe we'll get out of this tunnel that much faster that's all i have to say brad i yeah i i I uh, agree with both you guys. I'm just glad that um, this this production seems to be really going forward. Um, you know, and it's looking more and more like it might make that release date. So, oh man, yeah, I, I'm still looking forward to seeing this film. So I, I'm I'm happy, and I'm happy that they're being careful, and I'm happy happy that uh, it's having results. Nobody's getting infected. And uh, Steve, I think you're right. Maybe this is a good example of how to do things moving forward uh, to still get the work done, but to still keep people safe. And I think that's a really good, a really good sign. So, yeah, I think all in all, uh, it's, it's very good news. Uh, and up next uh, looks like uh, Deathstroke uh, actor Joe Magnello has dyed his mohawk blue. After having a white hairstyle for a while, which leads some fans to think that possibly he's done filming his uh, Deathstroke scenes in uh, the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Seth, what was your take on this? I think it's going to be a lot of fun to speculate just where a blue mohawk can take us. <laughs> I mean, I, I really feel that the, the biggest question that really seemed to be on the minds of folks is, does this mean that whatever reshoots you may or may not have been doing for Justice League are done? And I, I loved his professional discretion in saying, uh, look, whatever whatever may or may not be allowed to be said about that is way way somewhere else on the NDA scale than I am able to even, you know, begin to consider. So you're not hearing anything from me, whether it happened, whether it didn't, I had to respect his professionalism. I hope my wife doesn't see too much more of this story because really, if there's one thing I can get her to a movie to see, it's something with him in it. She's captivated his heart since true blood. I'm thankful that he's taken because I'd probably be in a lot of trouble if he was single uh, and I think the fascination will only grow. Please, sir, just for those of us who have significant others that drool over you, don't make it too hard. Going all super hot punk with the blue mohawk is just really killing my game right now. All right. That's enough of my plea. Steve, how about yeah. you, sir? Oh, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, he's just being a little genius with his response. I mean, a blue mohawk is about as far away from Slade Wilson as you can get. So for me, yes, that definitely means he's wrapped on Slade Wilson. And now because of the blue mohawk, he's telling us that his next project is 
Smurfs 5, Revenge of the Smurfs, where he's playing Terminator Smurf. And that's what he's done <laughs> with the Blue Mohawk. Brad, what did you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, that, that it does probably mean that he is done. And it's it, it kind of makes me think that um, that these roles is is happy as I am that they're coming back. We might just be getting cameos. So um, it, it just it just kind of makes me curious how big of a role these characters are going to play, and just how many reshoots and and how long that's going to take. So because that seemed to happen really quickly, it makes me wonder if these are going to be more. Like I said, more cameos than than huge roles. So uh, we'll see. But you know, I one of my favorite things about the Justice League movie was the after credit scene. So uh, oh, yeah. no matter what, I, I'm glad he's coming back. So yeah, definitely. Hey, definitely can I stir the pot real quick before we do one other story? I just realized something, and I want to see if anybody wants to respond to this. Uh, sure. Omac, and I'm done. Oh, oh. <laughs> brother, I like where you're coming yeah. from. Yeah, interesting. I had to go and look at a couple of pictures real quick while you were talking, and I saw it, and I was like, man, Brad's going to think I'm a total jerk right now. But And there it was, just like spilling out of my mouth. Because I was like, Izzy, I can't hold the thought. Hold the thought. Hold. And it was just, I, thanks, man. I just needed to spit that out because my brain yeah, would have yeah. forgotten, and, and I wanted to hear what either of you thought about that because – We've also got the idea of Flash and multiple Earths. And one of the fun things that's been done on the show is seeing different actors as different people from different Earths. So, Omac, I'm out. Sorry, Brad. Really didn't <laughs> bother I like that. Yeah, I like that idea, too. Wow, Steve, that, or, uh, Seth, that just gave me a lot to think about. Because, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I've been... Uh, over the past month or so, I've been rereading some of the Infinite Crisis stuff. So OMAC was kind of, you know, in my mind. So, yeah, that, that, that would be a really cool thing. So one last news story about movies uh, or TV. Uh, Stephen Colbert has uh, released a little election parody of Batman uh, called Election Night Rises. Uh, Seth, what do you think of this? <laughs> uh this made me laugh so much i i immediately like threw it up on the apple tv up on the screen and looked at my wife and said come on nerd out with me for a minute here and <laughs> we loved every minute i mean the way that it parodied and paid an homage to uh batman 89 the way it, it did so many other twisted little nods to comic book storytelling and then, I mean, <laughs> the Joe Biden shades, uh, Kamala Harris being there kind of as the straight man and Joe just being like lovable and adorable. And it, it was just so much fun. And also the way that it wrapped up, I, I kid you not, it brought chills and tears to my, I mean, chills to my skin and tears to my eyes. It brought chills and tears to my eyes. Then we're talking about a whole other condition I've got. But overall, this was just such a delightful, joyful thing. And, and watching it and cheering it and feeling that even in something like a cartoon, there was an emotional response on my part at the, at the fact that we're here and able to celebrate in this way and feel this sort of hopeful relief is the closest I'm at right now. I'm, I'm still working on it. Steve, 
tell me, brother, what do you think as probably the biggest Dark Knight fan I know or ever will know? I have to say that in this lifetime, in this world, there are only a few things that uh, deserve to be called truly beautiful or, or true works of art. The Mona Lisa, the Sistine Chapel, pizza and election night rises. <laughs> that thing just made me die <laughs> i thought it was one of the funniest things i've ever seen but my favorite moment has to be right at the end where trump's stepping off the float just like he did down that ramp during that public appearance <laughs> and it took an absolute age for him to get down it yeah that was it's, the best part yeah oh, <laughs> that was pure magic it was brilliant but i do wish that the people who wrote these articles would get their law straight or even maybe even perhaps watch these movies. Yes, it's called Election Night Rises, but it's not based or or, or a spoof of the, the Christopher Nolan films. It's Batman 89 and Batman Returns, people. Please get your facts straight. That was purely Tim Burton's movies they were spoofing and a little bit of Adam West thrown in for good measure. But it was a true work of art and I would actually pay to own a hard copy of it. It was that good. Brad, what did you think of it? You, you know, Steve, uh, we are such nerds because I thought the same thing. I was like, this is Batman 89. This is not... This is not uh, right? Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> Um, so that's so funny. Yeah, I mean, that, that was, yeah, yeah, exactly. I felt the same way. And I don't know, um, and Steve, you in the UK, but um, we, if you guys have Showtime, uh, but they're, these characters are, the animation style, the whole character, like the voices and everything are part of the, uh, our cartoon president show. So there's like a whole TV series of of this around i think they're on their third season in fact i think we're recording this on on uh on sunday and i think the series finale is tonight so uh it should be streaming on showtime so uh if you can check that out it's 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 pretty funny but um but yeah steve you are you're exactly right i thought oh my god this is but but it's but it did make me want to go back and rewatch batman 89 <laughs> right like he really did like absolutely when he said where's joe biden at home watching oh. you know watching his mask i did all i heard in my head was he's at home watching his tights and i just, oh, man. <laughs> i almost I, I, I almost threw on uh, prince's oh, bat dance just just for uh just for nostalgia's sake <laughs> i'm giving away free money and uh yeah so that was a good transition between the tv and the movie news and now we're going straight into tv and streaming uh looks like uh steven amell covid19 almost brought uh him back to playing oliver queen for a another season uh, of arrow seth what was your takeaway on this my how things change just a short time and I'm I'm amazed that this story, you know, introduces the idea. Okay, and can I also just say, Michael Rosenbaum has a brilliant name for his podcast, Inside of You. Yeah, yeah. Like, is is that just supposed to make it's all of us? It's a good podcast too. If you if you haven't listened to it, uh, it's pretty good. I'll have to check out more about it because all it made me think of was uh, what's his name's character from Forgetting Sarah Marshall, 
when he gets up during the dinner scene and starts singing that song, which is his new big hit from Infinite Sadness called Inside of You. Um, so I don't know if there's a connection. It just made me chuckle when I heard the name of the podcast and also this conversation where basically Amel just says, yeah, so, hey, Greg, how you doing? Yeah, Berlanti, hi. So I was thinking about something. And from there is all the possibility. I also love that, you know, the article provides us with a little bit of speculation about how they could maybe consider the Kevin Smith run and maybe some other options. And it also raises up, uh, you know, the, the question that's still sort of lingering for a lot of people. Will we see a spinoff in the future from the events that ended Green Arrow and the possibility of his daughter having her own show, the Canaries having a show, some combination of the two, uh, however that might end up playing out. But this just seemed to be inching towards a greater likelihood that he won't be gone for good. And there might be ways that we get to see him back. And if he can still find a way to keep a commitment to the main reason that he had for leaving, which was he really felt this was a valuable time to spend with his family. If he can meet that commitment and still play a part in the the legacy and the mythos, this is the guy who brought so much uh, possibility into our lives. And then we saw it come to fruition. So I think there's always going to be a door left open for him. That's my initial take. Steve, tell me your thoughts. Again, 100% in agreement. If there's a slimmest chance of Stephen Amell coming back as Green Arrow, then I am invested. Because like you said, Seth, this is the guy that started it all. Arrow is the daddy. It's the one that brought all the CW Arrowverse shows together. And if it means that he comes back and it's called Arrowverse again instead of CWverse, that's another plus in our favour. But hey, like you said, Quiver, that story for me... It's up there amongst the greatest Green Arrow stories of all time, along with the Longbow Hunters, Green Arrow Year One and Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Those stories are amazing. If that's the way they bring him back, and they could because the time's already there with the whole Spectre thing. Oh, wow. Amazing. I would love to see that. And I do miss Oliver Queen. I do miss Stephen Amell. His presence is greatly, greatly missed in these shows and hey there's always an annual crossover i don't think we've seen the last of him i pray we haven't what about you brad yeah i agree with both of you one thing i always appreciated about arrow and Stephen amell was how much he respected the character respected the fans and took and took that role seriously uh you know not only as oliver queen but as kind of the character that brought the arrowverse you know, like you said, into fruition. So uh, I'd love that he would be willing to come back and keeping that door open is, is, is so welcome. Um, you know, I think that fans love that chance, even if it is just a single episode. Um, I, I, you know, it makes me think that, yeah, we, we will see him as arrow in some form. And Seth, like you were saying with the Kevin Smith, uh, how they brought him back in the comics would work you know just as well on the show so they have an in right there so yeah this is i think this is a good news and hopefully we will see him as zero again in some form and uh moving on to some news about titans we got our first look uh at starfire in the new season and we learned that it is going to be 
a big season for for Starfire. Uh, you know, this upcoming third season. Seth, what was your uh, what was your take on this? Regal and confident. I mean, when she first appeared on Titans, you could tell that she had power, but she was lost and discovering more about who she was, where she came from, and what she'd been doing, and what had led to these lapses in her memory. Watching her discover more about her past, her conflict with her sister, and seeing her in this photo, I felt like she has grown more aware of that history and responsibility and also potential destiny. So I love the image and the story that they were talking about, the idea that we get to hear and see and watch this all develop on screen, I think is going to be really important for longtime fans who've wanted to see this play out. But for new fans who are now getting the opportunity to understand who Corey is and also what what sort of responsibilities she is going to have to make choices about when it comes to her home planet of uh, Tamarin or the Titans. And I, I think this is going to be a great development for her character. This is the season that I'm looking forward to seeing her really shine. And I love the chance to see her at Blackfire square off. And also for the, the possibility, as it's hinted, that hardcore fans will get a few surprises. Those are always fun to enjoy. I'm sure I won't be alone, given how many Titans fans I'm on this conversation with. Steve, tell me your thoughts. Oh, absolutely. And to all those idiots who were mocking and taking um, liberties with with their comments on Anna Diop and her initial appearances and the leaked photos from set, the fact that she's getting a huge role in season three, Blackfire's appeared um, well, who's laughing now, guys? Just the real Titans fans. And you both know that I am a huge Marvel Wolfman, George Perez, Mark. Those comics, I own every issue of their run and I still read them on a regular basis. And I love them. And yeah, the show's darker, grittier, blah, blah, blah. It's more 21st century. But the premise and the real heart of the stories is deeply ingrained in those magnificent stories written by Marv Wolfman and drawn by George Perez. And the glimpse of that collar, the same as the costume that we saw in those in those days, the introduction of Blackfire, the possibility of seeing Tamaran as a planet in season three, plus the whole Red Hood thing. Oh, man, I cannot wait. I love the Titans TV show, and I really want to see more. Bring it on, people. What do you think, Brad? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I I, I kind of knew that you, I think we could all figure that it was going to be a huge season for her because they did introduce Blackfire. Uh, and she arrived on Earth at uh, the end of season two. So we knew that that was going to be a huge moment for Starfire's character. Um, and I, you know, and so like you were saying how she's kind of learning her way and learning her powers, I would love to see her have her carry moment where she just unleashes and really figures out what's what, uh, you know, maybe not, <laughs> maybe not so murderous, but you know, where she really, I like the way you're thinking, Brad, <laughs> buckets of blood. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and, and I'm wondering, you know, they, they said that, you know, they, it's going to be some 
really cool things for fans of the character. I can't wait to see that what that would be. Um, we have the special technology, you know, the special effects technology to make that really something special. So there's nothing they really can't do. So, yeah, yeah, this is this is going to be a, a good third season. And one thing that I think that the second season did well was handled a lot of characters. It really proved that they could introduce a lot of different characters and still feel balanced. So, you know, and that was a big thing that I was curious how they were going to do going into season two, but they proved themselves. So the more I hear about new characters or different takes on characters like Red Hood coming in. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm yeah, I'm excited. I just wish we would have a release date, but, you know, COVID. So I'm sure we'll learn soon yep. enough. Yeah. So. Uh, moving on, uh, this is good news for comedy fans and uh, Stargirl fans. Uh, Jim Gaffigan is going to voice, voice uh, Thunderbolt in Stargirl. Seth, what was your take on this? I think this is so great. They, <laughs> the way that it's been teased throughout the series, just this really cute little pink pen giggling along the way in different episodes, and the way the camera has just sort of pointed at it more than a few times made me wonder, so when will we finally get to see our impish little friend? And Jim Gaffigan, if you guys ever get a chance, I don't know if uh, you've heard of any of his stand-up. I mean, what he's done on television is great, but that guy gets pretty wild with these really, it's, it's silly, but he does these asides with himself when he's doing stand-up, where he'll say something really sort of straight, you know, straight man line. And then he'll have this voice come in like, I don't know if you should be saying that. That doesn't sound like a. And the different voices that he creates immediately makes me think of what he could do when he's not talking with the camera on him. And it also reminds me, I mean, just think about the Joker that we've seen recently on Harley Quinn and how much Alan Tudyk turned that into something so fantastic. I would love to see Jim Gaffigan do something similar with our little pink friend and have a bit of fun once he comes out of that pen. Steve, how about you, my friend? Stargirl rules. I love that show. And just like you said, Seth, all the little nerdgasm moments that season one gave us, if we finally get to see Thunderbolt and brought to life by Jim Gaffigan, who makes me laugh again and again and again and again, then I am just really, really happy. Um, and hey, if we're getting that, then please, 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 two words, CW people, Alan Scott. Thank you, Brad. <laughs> if you are familiar with Jim Gaffigan's stand up comedy, I just have one thing to say Hot Pockets. Um, <laughs> he does a whole thing on Hot Pockets that yeah. is absolutely brilliant <laughs> um, but I, 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 I am a big fan of his his comedy and his acting and I think that he he's perfect for the role I can't wait to see what he does and yeah we we all love this show I think I, I think we could almost do a Stargirl podcast like we do a Harley Quinn podcast. We like that show so much. So, Ooh, yeah, I think that uh, there you go. <laughs> um, I, I think that um, he he's a perfect fit, and I can't wait to see what he does. I can't yeah, you know, I can't wait to see what he does with the character. Uh, and moving on. Uh, so 
Steve Aggie joins uh, the Peacemaker Suicide Squad uh, spinoff series. Uh, Seth, what was your take on this? Well, I, I love the way that the layering is already planned for this series. Not only is Steve Aggie going to be playing the uh, voice of King Shark, but he's also going to be the warden. And I love that now that we can sort of think about what that connection might mean to the Peacemaker and how he can be one of two continuing characters that move from that movie into this spinoff that will feature him and John Cena. Then I think that we've got this like really great groundwork that's been set up that will show us those connections between these characters that's going to make perfect sense as we transition into the spinoff series. So I thought this was a really smart move. Um, extremely talented person with, uh, I mean, a lot of credits to his name. You know, I was just glancing back over and reminded that in addition to being on Sarah Silverman, um, he's done so much as so many different roles when it comes to entertainment. Anyone with that many talents uh, reminds me of uh, Taiki, uh no, Taika Waititi, and and that idea of like if you've had enough experience doing all these different things, it 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 blends together when you apply it to one specific role. And I also feel like he'll be one of those great castings where he's like, "Hey, got this writing idea. Can I pitch it?" And you always want to listen to somebody who's extremely talented and all the possibilities that might spin out of it. Seems like a dream casting to me. Steve, tell me your thoughts. Yeah, it's, it's another great person for a great role in what could turn out to be one of those surprising smash hit TV shows that just comes out of nowhere and blows your mind. So, hey, yeah, absolutely. I am totally up for that. And being a huge wrestling nerd, um, having John Cena in his own TV show after appearing in what's going to be a smash hit for James Gunn in the on the big screen next year. I couldn't be more excited. I mean, I could be so excited that I end up hurting myself and end up in hospital. And then John Cena will come to see me and he'll say, Steve, where are you? And I say, I see you. And he'll say, you can't see me. Sorry. What the hell am I talking about? Brad, save me. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that he, you know, he's worked, uh, he's worked with uh, James Gunn in the past. So He's part of that extended family, so it makes sense that he would be in this. And, you know, it still doesn't give us kind of a time frame of, you know, what does this does this take place after before the movie? You know, we still don't know that. And obviously they're going to keep uh, keep their uh, cards close to their chest on that one. Um, but, you know, the more news we get, the closer it is to production. So. Uh, yeah, I keep bringing the news because, uh, you know, Steve, I agree. I think that if this series is done well, uh, it could blow everyone away. Uh, you know, given things like how popular the boys and, um, Umbrella Academy, things like that are right now, those kind of offbeat comic shows, uh, I, I think it could definitely fit into that same kind of vibe. So I, I think if the show's done well, it could be, it could be really fun. And up next, uh, Katie Lott has uh, given us a tease from the uh, production of season six of Tomorrow. Uh, Seth, 
What do you think of this? I love a tease that includes Friday days. Oh, the things we've come to miss. Uh, (laughs) I think that there are a few things better than looking forward to this show, the wonderful time ship, and keeping in mind the fact that Katie exited the season finale in quite a, well, let's just say... It was out of no, this world, no. wasn't it? Yeah, let's go with out of this world. I, I had a few others that were going to get spacey, but, you know, don't worry, folks. The truth is out there. I have all the faith in the world that <laughs> we're going to see. I want <laughs> Just <to> where. Believe. <laughs> I believe, I believe. And I believe that we're going to have a lot of fun watching the team try and track down their, you know, their leader, the one that they're kind of rudderless without. And <laughs> I love the fact that she's sort of letting us know, hey, remember Fridays? Okay. The fun's back, guys. Hang on to your hats. Steve, how about you? Fridays. That's exactly what um, recording Mad Love the Harley Quinn cost was for me. <laughs> Start on a Friday, end on a Saturday. <laughs> um, bless her. She's fantastic. I adore Katie lots um and I love that stupid stupid brilliant show Legends of Tomorrow it's just fun from start to finish whatever mood you're in you'll sit down to an hour of that and come back smiling so yeah bring it on and the fact that she ended like um a a dynasty character who got kidnapped by aliens and they're taking the mick out of that in a superhero show Oh, that's just beautiful to me. As a a comics nerd, that just makes me very, very happy. What about you, Brad? Yeah, I I, I like that this production is is back. And it just seems like it's so much fun. Like, how how much fun would it be to actually be on set and hang out for one of these Fridays just to see everybody gets along? And just it, it seems like it would just be a really fun atmosphere to be a part of. Yes, please. Yeah, and, and and I just I really I really like that in in shows, and that and that can really shine through in the finished product, which I think it does with Legends of Tomorrow. So Steve, like you said, bring it on. Uh, and uh, we also got news that uh, season six of Lucifer, the writing has been finished. So now it just has to it has to be shot. So. Uh, Seth, what was your takeaway? How is it that a heart can feel so full and yet be breaking at the same time? And I can't read the hashtag that goes with this lovely quote because it's simply not appropriate for me to say so. However, the one beneath it, I'm not crying, you're crying, (laughs) was was this really sweet sort of tender uh, goodbye that was being shared on a Twitter feed that sort of let the showrunner share an insight into what happens when the writer's room makes a decision from what it sounds like from this story to bring the show to a once and final closing. Now, this is the show that was supposed to and then didn't and then didn't and then continues to chug along like the little engine that could. I don't know if this really is the end or just a very heartfelt attempt 
to offer one should fans and executives and members of the team decide that this is finally the end. But I was also really caught by the fact that in this shot, there's <laughs> there's what, 20 odd screens, almost 20 screens in this shot of everyone working on this project together. That's a lot of passion, a lot of hope, a lot of creativity, and a lot to look forward to for season six. Great little sort of tidbit for fans to digest and also to use to look forward to. Steve, what were your thoughts, my friend? It's exactly like you said, Seth. This series was cancelled after season three, and then we got a four. We're halfway through five. We know we're definitely getting a six, so I'm just going to take that as a win. The fans did it again. And seeing this level of heart and passion from these writers and feeling that emotion at it all ending, that just shows me that as good as season four was, as amazing as season five has been so far, season six may be the best year. And when you end the series on a high like that, I prefer it to end than the whole jump the shark thing we've had from other series that ran just that bit too long. So, uh, Lucifer writers, I salute you. I love you. And I can't wait to see your words become reality on screen. I'm really looking forward to it. What about you, Brad? Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. I think we're going to get a season seven. <laughs> this is you know, my, my, question. With that. My, my question is, did you really, really end it or did you leave it open so that uh, we could continue? Because this is just a show that seems to not want to end. Um, you know, fans love it. Uh, Netflix seems to love having it be part of their, uh, you know, their original programming. So, um yeah, and if it is the last season, Steve, I think that, like you said, it's going to go out on a high note. So it might be the best season that we that we've seen so far. So yeah, I'm I'm very very optimistic about the prospects of uh, of what we're going to see in the next uh, in this next and maybe final season. So with that, guys, we're going to take a quick break and pay some bills, hear from some sponsors and whatnot. Uh, so hang tight, and we'll be right back. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us, right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. First... There was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating 
Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode, just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the Knight. Hello listeners, this is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Book, a Harley Quinn cast. Three, two, one. Harley Quinn? Harley f***ing Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making Bat Shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Ogre. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up the bat, I'm nuts. I definitely do not in need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't f with Lois Lane. For f**k's sake. I'm a damn good cop. Lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. F***ers. Welcome back to episode 93 of the DC Comics News Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Flicky, and with me today is Seth Singleton and Steve J. Ray. We've talked TV and streaming and movie news and now we're going to talk some comics uh, up first uh, we learned that a copy of detective comics issue 27 first appearance of batman has sold for eight hundred and fifty thousand uh seth what do you think of this i think what really stuck for me was the fact that there was a previous highest paid price and that this was the second highest paid price simply because the the grading of uh, this issue of Detective Comics number 27 was somewhere around a six. So it ended up being priced out at $849,999.90. I don't know why the 90 cents makes me chuckle as I read it aloud, but for some reason I think to myself, really? Is that some tax thing somewhere that someone needs to explain to me with rule books and graphs and charts? Uh, Maybe some visuals to help me out. I, I, I got a kick out of just this story for that reason. And I, I love the fact that the popularity just continues to catch our interest when we keep in mind what I thought was one of the most important parts of this story. There are only 70 original copies of Detective Comics left in the world. And this is a story about a new owner and also just sort of reminds us about the, the value that these books still have for us and, you know, how much we're always going to love hearing a story like this about a a great book, one that we were recently lucky enough to celebrate its 1000th issue. And anytime you get a chance to look back at that, that first one, that number 27, well, it's always a fun little moment of nostalgia. Steve. 
Tell me your thoughts, Michael. I'm just so glad I finally managed to get my copy. I'm just not looking forward to when my wife finds out I'm going to be in so much trouble. <laughs> no, I wish it was me that got it. Um, that's a lot of money. $849,000.99 makes no sense. Um, wow, it's incredible. Um, luckily, I have uh, Millennium Editions and various reprints, and I'll just have to be satisfied that that's as close as I'll ever get to one of those very, very rare comics. But whoever owned it, good job proud of you and extremely extremely jealous um but wow that's a lot of money but hey um it's priceless in my mind um grade six is still probably better than some of the comics i've read eight million times in my lifetime that i nearly read to buy uh, collected editions of so congratulations owner of detective comics number 27 brad what did you make of this story I sometimes think of like top 10 things that I would do if I could travel back in time <laughs> and oh, grabbing yes. a issue uh, of detective comics or a copy of number 27 of detective comics and action comics. Number one definitely hits that top 10 and sure they'd be worth the fortune, but it, there's only 70 of these original issues left 70 think about that that that's crazy so i just hope the person who did buy this keeps it safe we don't want that number getting any lower we want to keep it at that 70 um and you know i saw that price 850,000 and i thought well that's almost a little low. I'm surprised it didn't go over a million. And then like Seth, like you were saying, it's rated six. So that's why it was a little bit less than the record for the issue, which it was like one million uh, seventy five thousand uh, in, in 2010. Uh, you know, but it. it Batman has never been more popular than he is right now, so it's not surprising that the demand is so high for these rare issues. And, you know, just just please, whoever bought it, keep it safe. That's that's my that's my big hope. Um, and yeah. <laughs> wise words. <laughs> yeah. And Absolutely. moving on. Looks like DC Future State and Generation those events are no longer connected. Uh, Seth, what do you think of this? I I really felt this sense of like vibrant elation. I, again, I could be like going off of like the ultimate optimist uh, streak right now, given the the way I've been, you know, mentioning the fact that the election results changed a lot of how I was feeling and maybe it's a sugar high. Maybe it's like when, you know, vegetarians finally, like after 10 years have a steak and they say they get this crazy protein rush. I don't know, but I do know that when I heard this story, the elation continued in me because I thought to myself, I am so happy when I hear that creators of events realize what they've got is a story that shouldn't be crippled by the event and should have a chance to tell everything that fans will love and enjoy. So, by not connecting future state and generations, by offering them in two different ways and allowing different stories to do all that's possible, then man, huge stuff here. And I'm excited for it because it reminds me that when people do things for the right reasons, especially creators, we the fans, we benefit. 
And I've been seeing that in some really great stuff recently. And I love the possibility of saying, hey, wait a minute. If fans love our great stories, why are we trying to outmarket great stories? Why aren't we listening to great stories and then market accordingly? This seems like they're listening to that idea. And I couldn't be happier, especially with what's already been suggested and proposed with the, uh, you know, the teasers that we had in Detective Comics 1027 and these other little bits of news that have been coming out since. It, it speaks really well to the future of DC Comics, who, Brad, you said it, my friend, we're in a golden age. Like, why muck it up? Keep doing great things for the reasons fans love it, and they'll reward you for it. Steve? Everything you just said. Absolutely. Um, every time we speak to a writer on this show, every time I interview a writer, and um, they say the same thing, that they want to tell their own story, and sometimes these massive crossovers come along and hijack their story, and they just got to roll with the punches and do the best job possible. But the fact that they're letting generations be its own thing, bravo. I am so happy about that especially when you've got a talent like dan jurgens at the helm uh, just seeing the 1939 batman again made my heart sing with joy and the fact that he's going to be in a whole group with a bunch of other characters out of time dude that got me excited as it is and now it's going to be prolonged and made its own standalone story leading up to or being completely apart from future state which again has got me so excited i cannot put it into words this is awesome. This is letting these storytellers tell the stories they want to tell. And who's the winner in this battle? The fans. Brilliant news. What did you think, Brad? Yeah, I agree. I think I think in the end it does it does benefit uh, the fans to have these stories kind of stand on their own. Uh, as much as I love big events in comics, um, you know, it, it is kind of good to let them breathe and have their own kind of area to explore because it seems like generations deals a lot with the past with future state obviously deals in the future. So it does make sense to maybe keep them separated a little bit. And as it's looking future state is going to be so huge as it is. It involves so many issues and so many, so many characters that it's almost they had to kind of separate from generations or they might bite off more than they could chew. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, I think this was definitely a smart, uh, smart decision. And speaking of future state, uh, the DC nation magazine is going to return for a future state special. Uh, Seth, what did you think of this? I keep rereading this article, trying to figure out, <coughs> excuse me, what I'm most excited about. And I'm almost choking on my own excitement. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> one, uh, man, DC Nation needed to come back in some way. This magazine and its decision to base itself on, yes, I love hearing an echo like that. It's like a chorus, man. It's like, how many voices can we raise together? Um the fact that Future State's going to be part of that and all the things it's going to be looking forward to for us and what we get to enjoy with the insights and also maybe some breakdown about the fact that it's a two-month event that's meant to have you know a series of standalone stories that are told, but then will also be part of what the modern-day stories are, are building towards and, and sort of give us that sense of expectation. This is going to be a great way for those stories to feel a little more complete 
and also give us all those great teasers. Like we were just talking about that last story, which can give us some insight into what we can expect. And also, I mean, because I'm that guy, what we can always continue to hope for. Um, and then lastly, in this article, it mentions this great idea. The multiverse has been saved from the brink of destruction, but the triumph of DC's heroes has shaken loose the very fabric of time and space. The final chapter, I mean, you know, there's there's so much fun in that. You know, there's so much excitement. You can sort of just soak up and go, yeah, you got me. Hook, line, just, you know, reel me in now, suckers. Reel me in. Steve, how about you? Oh, absolutely. I adored DC Nation. I was so upset when it ran just a few issues it ran and then it stopped. And I own a copy of every issue, even the mini side zero issue, which was a, a great comic leading from uh, metal to the future of the DC universe. And if that's what they're doing again with the future state issue, I'm really, really happy. I mean, part of the reason I love writing for DC companies news and dark night news so much is because it felt like i was contributing to that kind of forum that kind of special magazine there for the fans and i don't know if you guys do you remember wizard oh yeah the comics magazine yeah. why isn't oh, yeah. there something like that out on the shelves anymore and dc nation felt just like that and then i found out later that it was made by many of the same people so when it was launched it was one of my favorite reads so we're getting another issue great but bring it back permanently, guys, or maybe people like us, fans who love reading these books and writing about these books. Hey, maybe a new Wizard magazine should be brought out too, and maybe we're just the kind of people who should be making it because this is what the fans want, and I want more. What about you, Brad? Yeah, you know, just last week I stumbled across an old issue of DC Nation and read through it, and I was thinking, man... I miss this. Such a fun magazine. So this was, yeah, yeah, it really was. And I I sat down and I think I I even reread the whole thing pretty much cover to cover. And yeah, it just, I I, I do. I I agree with you, Steve, that that it was such a fun little magazine that, you know, we we need something like this. So I'm I'm really happy to have it back. so, yeah, I, I kind of hope that they can continue this. I kind of wish they would do it for Endless Winter and kind of all these big events. That would be I'd be totally oh, on board for really that. Cool. Yeah, I, I would love that. So <laughs> so hopefully they'll get a good response and try to continue it uh, somehow, because, yeah, it is it is missed. And it also in comics news, it looks like the future state Flash will debut as part of a gender swapped Teen Titans this December. Uh, Seth, what do you think of this? I am going to teach everyone I know how to say the name Kid Quick. I'm starting with my nieces yes. and nephew, and I'm looking forward to Kid Quick gaining the same sort of Ah, let's just say familiarity that we have learned to develop for characters like Kid Flash, Wally, Impulse, and so many other young, bright speedsters who, for me, are just a reminder of this idea behind the Speed Force. Like, it's like so many other great things we can believe in that can give us that strength. Like, there's something lovely here, and I also love the forward-thinking of how they can consider 
just what the opportunities from telling stories about characters from different worlds means about the flexibility you can have when it comes to talking about these characters, to sharing their stories, and to expanding the universes. It, it's a lot to get excited for. Steve, share your excitement with me, my friend. Oh, this is just brilliant. Um, DC Comics, I, ha- I have to say, one of the many reasons I'm such a fan is because of the way they embrace and lift every reader. Hey, we're getting Milestone back. And this news as well. I mean, man, come on, this is just fantastic, particularly with the news of Biden coming into the into office and Kamala Harris and, and first female um, of, of black and Asian descent elected into a, a position of authority of, of this magnitude. This is just the kind of news that makes 2020 not seem like such a horror show after all this is fantastic of course i know from tomorrow onwards there's going to be backlash all over the internet from that side of fandom who honestly do not deserve to call themselves fans saying oh there's no place in this comic should just be entertainment when do comics become political hey you've obviously never read a comic book in your life because always that's the answer always and if you don't believe me listen pick up the favorite comic you've ever read and i'll show you exactly where it's being political but it's more than that it's embracing fans and letting people who may have felt like they didn't belong like they were outsiders like they weren't part of any crowd that would ever accept them you are accepted you are loved you are part of this huge family that brad seth kelly kendra and i are so happy to be a part of and new ways of telling new stories with fantastic characters and the people who complain oh uh yeah alan scott what all of a sudden where did that come from why can't you just make create new characters well here are your new characters people read them and enjoy them and if you don't shut up don't read them and let everyone else enjoy them this is fantastic news i don't nothing's gonna change my mind about it brilliant what about you brad yeah yeah exactly and it just this future state is just going to be so much fun, uh, you know, and I, but I, I totally agree. Comics have always been political. Uh, the X-Men, you know, was probably played a big part in my political awakening back in the day because of the parallels Absolutely. to racism and you know, things like that. So I, I always love that political angle. And it and the idea of inclusion does not have to be political. You know, it's yeah. just let let these people have a voice. Um, yeah. So this is going to be this is going to be a lot of fun. I you know, I'm just so torn on what issues I want to read digitally. You oh, know what we should do. I want to pick up. I just, you know, I'm. I'm I just uh, I just don't know, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be <laughs> so much fun. And this is another example of why we are in that golden age of D.C. for sure. Uh, and moving on, it looks like D.C. has some big plans for Punchline in 2021. Uh, Seth, what do you think of this? Well, I like the idea of finding out more about the character, because while I felt her introduction before and during Joker War was a good start. We only got some really small hints at her story, her background. And I like the idea that's been suggested recently in uh, Gotham of her now becoming uh, 
a public figure who's so opposite of punchline and and being a voice that attacks heroes as part of this unmasking campaign that seems to be uh, growing with popularity in the stories. And I mean, so far, James, who I now will simply refer to as James the Fourth, as he appears on Twitter, so as to save me from that issue of mispronunciation that those of you that still put up with me are familiar with. I, I like the idea of getting a chance to see her story, hear more about her, and also discover just what it is that I can learn about her and consider in the same scale that I you know, have learned to appreciate about Harley Quinn, who when I first discovered, had a lot of reservations about, didn't, you know, didn't really understand as much uh, about what the character represented in the story they were trying to tell, but who through the comics, through the television show, through so many examples that have done more than say, here, look, laugh, smash, punch, there's been some really wonderful writers that the recent Harley Quinn series taught me a lot about just some really beautiful things that exist in that character's history. I think there's the potential with James the Fourth and uh, Punchline for that to happen. If it's going to, this is going to be one of those issues that cements it and establishes her as a character that's sticking around. But that's, I think, going to really hinge on how well this does and the story that it tells and how it fits into all the things that uh, have been happening in Batman up to this point. Steve, you know I'm curious about your thoughts. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of the character, and I know that she's uh, divided the crowd even amongst uh, the staff of, of DC Comics News. There are certain people in our team who, who absolutely positively hate her, but that's more because of um, the curveball she's thrown into the whole Harley Quinn Joker uh, pool, really. So I can see their frustrations, but to me, it's just like you said, James Tynan's created a character for the ages. He's managed to bottle lightning and excite fans in a way we haven't seen possibly since the creation of Harley Quinn. Um, so by that means, I'm really excited because even in her side appearances, particularly in Nightwing, where Nightwing was brainwashed and he became Dicky Boy and he was just pure evil and he sided with Punchline against, of all people, Barbara Gordon. That story was absolutely brilliant. And to see her now, and you clearly know she's lying through her teeth saying that she was an unwitting dupe of the Jokers and she's actually getting support and people behind her. Whereas if she loses this court case, she could actually be executed. Have you read the Punchline one shot? read it it's terrific and if you're a fan of scott snyder's batman uh, the return of harper row that again in an is worth picking up the issue for big plans for punchline more coming soon sign me up i want to read them what about you brad uh yeah dc is all in on punchline and i think that fans will not be disappointed uh seth i i kind of agree one thing about joker war is that i wanted more from this character so it's good that 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 we are going to get more and i think that you know i i was kind of surprised that it was just a one shot i thought that uh, it would be a series or a mini series but um i think that yeah i think this is just going to definitely lay some good foundations of what's going to happen for the character in the future and steve i agree this is one of i, I haven't seen a buzz about a new character since you know maybe harley quinn 
or when Image first launched or Venom or maybe Doomsday and Bane. I mean, it was, it's, it's on that kind of level of buzz about the character. So she's definitely not uh, not going anywhere anytime soon. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that uh, um, I think that she is going to be one of the more important Batman villains going forward. And the whole Harley Quinn Batman pool, Steve, uh, putting punchline in that doesn't bother me because I think that there's been a definite um, push to kind of get Harley away from that kind of toxic relationship. I think that it's a whole new way to interpret the character that doesn't even need the Joker. Joker's becoming less and less important to Harley Quinn as as we go on. And I think that psychologically punchline is maybe in a better position to not be manipulated so in fact she's going to be doing the manipulation so i think that that's that's kind of going to be a fascinating thing to see happen as well so yeah more punchline like you say steve bring it on and Continuing on with Batman, uh, this is our final story. Uh, it looks like uh, James Tinian, or James Four, uh, is working on a second Bat Family title for 2021. Uh, so, so uh, Seth, what did you think of this? I think whatever it's going to be, you can expect that three of us, and more than a few others who couldn't be with us today, will be devouring it hungrily, happily. What James has done with Batman has really been a delight to behold. And if there was any question about, well, how will things continue after Tom King's run ends? That's been answered. And now we have all these possibilities that he's unleashing for us. We were just talking about Punchline. Could this be something about new characters uh, being brought to life, new stories being told about characters that we we get to see as part of the family but don't often get the chance to shine. Could this in some way connect to the fact that we've also got the other history coming up soon and avenues that that could be opening up? So I love that one of the things this story does is allow my speculative aspect to run free and have a bit of fun considering all those possibilities. I also know that when you're talking about collaborating with someone like Guillaume March, you've got a lot of interest and excitement and anticipation on top of it. So a Batman story told by someone who's already excelled at telling Batman stories with an amazing artist who we've, well, we've only got to look at to get excited about their work. I say win-win for the fans and another great example of let the stories make the decision on whether or not something's great and desirable by fans. I think this one will be. I think Steve agrees with me too. What do you think, Steve? Totally. Uh, as soon as I hear Batman's side project, I'm happy. You add in a writer like James Tynan, boom, double happy. Gillian March, boom, triple happy. Rookie Menace, damn, could this thing be any cooler? Um, like you said, there was a lot of speculation about what would happen with Batman after Tom King stepped down. But having been a massive, massive fan of James Tynan's run on Detective Comics, and of course that comic that I've slapped you guys around the head with ad infinitum that you're now as big fans of as I am, Justice League Dark, I knew that his Batman run would be 
stellar. Hey, and guess what? He's created Punchline and the go- the Ghost Maker and Clown Hunter and where will it end? Hopefully never, because I want to read these stories once again. Just like we said with the previous story, Punchline, give me more. Brad, what do you think? Not only is this a golden age for DC fans, but it's a even more so of a golden age for Batman fans. I mean, Batman, like I had said, he has never been more popular. And, you know, this is one of those also time in the character's history where the talent behind the character, the writers and the artists that we have working on these books are just incredible. I loved I, I've loved James Tinian's work and, uh, you know, I want to see what he does. So, yeah, anything he wants to do Batman related, I'm there. So sign me up. And uh, I'm down. I'm reading it. That's all there is to it. So, yeah, the more the better. And that wraps up another episode of the DC Comics News uh, podcast. Uh, You can uh, head over, like, subscribe, uh, you know, tell us what you think wherever you get your podcast. uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, wherever you listen to it, you'll find us. Uh, so let us know what you think. Uh, you can also catch our other shows, the uh, Spinner Rack, hosted by Seth. I Am The Night, hosted by Steve J. Ray, and the Mad Love Podcast, which is uh, a little bit of all of us. So, uh, so yeah, check us all out. And uh, so, Seth, where can people find you if they want to stay in touch? Say hey on Twitter at one more singleton. Uh, send me a picture on Instagram as set the writer or one of your dog to my dogs, uh, Bruno and Fiji, or uh, look me up with my name, Seth Singleton, and the word story. I feel like that's the most fun way I can make it for you to find me and me to discover you. Steve, how about you? Yeah, please, please do talk to me. You can always find me on Twitter at lstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. You can hear me on this wonderful show most weeks, every now and then also on the Harley Quinn uh, Mad Love podcast, on my own show, I Am The Night, usually with my son, but sometimes with special guest stars, including these two gentlemen at some point in the very near future. If you want to read my work, just do a search for Steve J. Ray, and that'll lead you to all my news, reviews and interviews across both DC Comics News and Dark Knight News, or search Fantastic Universes for my own site. Uh, Brad, where can the multiverse and all the parallel worlds find you? I'm right. Uh, news and reviews for DC Comics News. I'm part of the Mad Love podcast, and you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. So that's it, guys. But before we go, we like to end with uh, saying that uh, it's something that everybody should be doing, and that is to read more comics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Until next time, guys. See you later. Bye, Zs.